I'm not hurting anyone. It makes the pain go away. I only do it every once in a while. I don't do it as much as that other guy over there. I don't even do it as much as I used to. If you hear in those statements the sort of undertones of a pattern of sin, even, even addiction, then you're familiar with what we're talking about today, which is week two of this sexual sin pattern that can hold people in bondage, can, can, can keep them from becoming who God made them to be. I mean, that, that's, what, that's what besetting, that's what patterns of sin do to us. They keep us from becoming who God made us to be. They keep us stuck in a place where there's no progress, no improvement, very little growth. It's a pattern of sin, confess. Sin, confess. Sin, confess. I've just named that three times. For, for most people, in a pattern of sin, a besetting, I can't get break, broken free from it kind of sin, I mean, that, that, that is dozens and dozens and dozens, even hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of times where that sin becomes a struggle that just keeps us stuck. And so eventually, eventually somebody like that starts saying things like, I wish, I wish I'd never done that. I didn't actually think it would hurt anyone else. Eventually, somebody like that ends up saying, hopefully, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know how much this would bring pain. These are the kinds of things that addicts say. These are the kinds of things that people stuck in a pattern of sin they can't get out of easily say. This is what it's like to be stuck in a pattern of sin Confess, sin, confess, sin, confess. In this series, we've been talking about getting unstuck from some of those things that we easily get stuck in. It's appropriate for the beginning of a, of a year for us to talk about something we need to get unstuck from, to have a fresh start in a relationship with God. And so we're spending two weeks on the big box of <laughs> sexual sin here. You can see the other ones we've been through here. Fear, negativity, depression, uh, getting unstuck in your marriage, not from, in your marriage. And uh, sexual sin deserves two weeks because... Because it's got physical, bodily effects that just keep us from becoming who God made us to be. I guess I actually should move it. Since the rest are. It's not as heavy as it looks. Or I'm just that buff. <laughs> so to be stuck is to experience no growth, little improvement, uh, not a lot of progress, stuck in that same place we've always been. And today we're talking about sexual sin. And if you were with us last week, you'll remember that we identified sexual sin. We're going to get into the scriptures here in a little bit, but let's just set the tone a bit. Sexual sin comes from a New Testament word we're using called pernea. Probably heard words like that quite a bit uh, in our current culture today. Uh, pornography comes from it. Um, it's, the, it's the New Testament word for all sexual immoralities. It's sort of a, a catch-all term for sexual uh, immorality that happens outside the bounds of a one man and one woman marriage. That's, that's what marriage, biblical, Jesus-led, Holy Spirit-led, God-honoring marriage is. 
We'll talk a lot more about that in the next series, One Man, One Woman Marriage. But anything outside of that monogamous sexual relationship is porneia. And to be stuck, to be stuck in a pattern of sin <laughs> when it comes to this porneia, the sexual morality, is to be committed to self-pleasure. Instead of being committed to God uh, through, if you're single, celibacy, if you're married, committed to your spouse through marriage, you end up functionally being committed to anything outside of that as, as your idol. And that's not what God wants for us. That's not why Jesus came, John 10.10 10 says. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, the thief comes, the evil one comes to steal and kill and destroy, to steal your joy, to ultimately kill you because of your sin and to destroy you. And then he says, in contrast to that, he says of himself, I came, I came that they, meaning his disciples, because that's who he's talking about in that context, they may have life and have it abundantly. He's talking to the disciples there. He's talking to us here. God's mission was to give us abundant life, not just, not just in the afterlife, not just in heaven. You know, we sort of think like, someday I can't wait for that joy to happen because like this is not going to do it for me. I'm not a big fan of all this life here. And I get that, but we sort of put off joy, put off victory over sin as something that's only going to happen way back in the yonder, way back when I roll is called up yonder. But the blood of Jesus on the cross was powerful enough hmm, to save us now in a manner which means that we have at our disposal the power that raised Jesus from the dead for our own sin, to have victory over it, to get unstuck from it. So the mission of God in the person of Jesus is to give us abundant life. And how does that happen? 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5. It happens through the method of Christ captive thinking. Our thoughts become our behavior at all times. At all times, your thoughts become your behaviors. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, they're not worldly weaponry that doesn't work, but our weaponry has divine power to destroy strongholds, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, to destroy strongholds. Paul says this, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God in an intellectual sense, yes, but also taking every thought captive to obey Christ so that we have the weaponry we need to live a life of victory over these kinds of things that easily our sin confess, sin confess, sin confess. Maybe not total victory, but increasing victory. That's a distinction. That's a distinction between a believer and non-believer, by the way. The non-believer, they have no recourse. They have no recourse. But to live a life of, of idol worship of self by which they get self-pleasure and gratification, the believer is increasing, increasingly becoming like Christ in a way which brings uh, more victory over those sins. So last week we called it Wake Up <laughs> and we talked about sort of the state of sexual immorality in the world and in our lives uh, because we, we said that change happens when we have a crisis. Change happens when we have a crisis. Uh, but this week we're kind of calling this Grow Up because we want to talk about the process of increasingly becoming like Christ in a way which gives us freedom from those besetting sins. We are fortunate to have among us uh, some friends in our congregation uh, who have experienced uh, the pain and the, the hurt and the frustration and, and years of this kind of uh, 
besetting pattern of, of sin in uh, their lives. And uh, they're going to talk to us a little bit about their story of uh, gaining some freedom from that. So let's watch this. And after we got married, 
Thanks, Hodges, for being brave enough to share that with us. I'm going to make a slight change of plans here and just remind you, I've said this a couple times during this um, during this series, just remind you, if you don't struggle with sexual sin or you haven't, and you're a mature believer in Christ, let me just say clearly, succinctly, as I can, don't sit thinking, I am so awesome. (laughs) Your responsibility is even greater. Because you have others who depend on you to help them with their patterns of sin in their lives. That's what this is. That's what this is. And if your view of who the body of Christ is, is is somehow so twisted that you don't have this sense of your personal responsibility to those around you, Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens. Hebrews 10.24, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Jude 23, snatch others from the fire and save them. If, if that is not as a mature, faithful, mature believer that doesn't have these patterns of sin in their lives, your responsibility is to come alongside those who do. So thanks, Hodges, for sharing. It's, it's uh, real important for us to talk about things that, that were it not for the blood and grace that the blood of Jesus and His grace applied to us and the body of believers around us, we would all, we would all be destined for hell as a result of giving in to patterns of sin. So thanks for sharing with us, Hodges. It's real important for us to create an environment where that's, that's okay to do. It's okay to talk about your, your struggles. All right, let's move on to three practical ways. These are all going to be practical things that are ways to grow up in a way that gives you some battle gear, some weaponry against sexual sin in your life. And, and uh, <clears throat> bear in mind that most of the time we like to do this sort of dig in big time to one passage. These are just kind of three passages that help make the point we're making along the way, some practical ways to defeat, to get unstuck from sexual sin. Number one, and this is most important, seek God earnestly and daily. Seek God earnestly and daily. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 63, first verse. Just that one verse. Psalm 63, verse 1. This is where we take our cue about seeking God earnestly and daily. This is David. He's in the wilderness. It's important context for what he writes here. He says in 63.1, Oh God, You are my God. It's something he's saying to declare, kind of establish at the beginning this covenant relationship with God. God promises if we follow and have trust and faith in Him, God will show Himself to us and lead us. That's kind of what he's saying there with that phrase, Oh God, You are my God. It's covenant language. Then he says, Earnestly I seek You. Circle, underline, highlight, star that word seek. Earnestly I seek You. And then he describes it in language that is akin to like how much 
uh, some of us right now would like to go and have a bunch of great food for lunch. I mean, it's that kind of language where it's your body wants and needs food and water language. Listen to this, Psalm 63, 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Not my soul occasionally as I'm able, as it's convenient, as I think about it. I come to church here and there. I dust off my Bible when I see it and I think I should probably read that occasionally, maybe. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. In a manner that is like this, he says, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He's in a desert, he's in a wasteland, and he wants water and food so badly that he uses that language to describe how much he wants to know God. Can that be said of you? Can that be said of your, your motivation for knowing and loving God? You earnestly seek Him. How often does the body need water? How often does the body need food every day, all the time? Friend, you and I are living in a weary land. You're living in a weary land. And friend, if your relationship with God is weak, temptation will be very strong for you. If your relationship with God is weak, temptation will be very strong for you in these areas of patterns of sin. If your relationship with God is strong, temptation will increasingly become weak. That's simple terms. That's how it works for the believer in Christ who's becoming more like Him. And friends, if this step is not in place, it doesn't matter how strong you are on the next two. It won't matter what you do to guard yourself, to give yourself filters, to make sure that you have accountability. It, it won't matter. If number one is not in place, number two and three are legalism and self-righteousness. You will, you will pervert and twist all of that if you're not careful. So number one has to be in place. So, so three steps to number one. Seek earnestly and daily. Seek earnestly and daily. To seek is simply this. I think this is kind of how we think about our relationship with God sometimes. Um, and a lot of our Christian life, when we're not very intentional about it, we think that like accidentally we're walking along, going through life, and huh, our relationship with God. It's about time. Scoop it up and now I've got it. Like a strong relationship with God. Finally, I've got it. I found it. You don't just automatically happen, uh, happen to find a strong relationship with God. You see somebody who has a strong relationship with God, they didn't happen upon it. It's not because their grandpa was a preacher. It's not because they go to the right place from week to week. It's not because they wear the t-shirt, came down the aisle, said the prayer, got dunked. They have a strong relationship with God because they have sought it out earnestly and daily. They have worked for it. They have grabbed for it. They have lived their life with an intent to know and seek God. If you see somebody with a strong relationship with God, it's because they've sought a strong relationship with God. Listen to these verses. I've got four of them here. Where God promises to show Himself to those who seek Him. Amos 5.4. It's real brief. God speaking to His people. Seek me and live. Pretty easy formula there. Seek me and live. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and hidden things you have not known. Jeremiah 29, 13, and 14. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, earnestly, passionately. 
I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Proverbs 8, 17. I love this verse. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. Which is to say, if there's this feeling like, where are you, God? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not hearing anything. If that's, if that's a normative experience for you, it's because you're not seeking. He says, seek and you will find. So number one, seek. Number two, seek earnestly. Seek earnestly with passion, with devotion, like you mean it, with intent. I mean, the, the kind of intent that some of us have when it comes to a whole bunch of areas of our lives compared to our spiritual life is really quite embarrassing, frankly. It's really extremely embarrassing. In fact, you should be embarrassed if you're a follower of Christ and in all these other areas of your life, there's great intent and care and planning. I mean, you've got spreadsheets for things over here when it comes to everything other than your walk with God. But when it comes to your walk with God, it's like, when I get to it, when I someday think that maybe I need it, when perhaps I have kids someday or I'm married someday, and the stakes are higher and it seems like I need to be responsible about it, like I'll get around to it eventually. I mean, truly, it should be embarrassing for you if you claim Christ and your relationship with God is functionally an afterthought. A.W. Tozer said, there will be no manifestation of God to his people apart from earnest seeking. It's got to be earnest. You've got to want it. You've got to actually want it. Plan your day around it. On your smartphone, put alarms for things like get your rear end out of bed and hear from God. Put that, put that on your alarm. Seek Him earnestly and seek Him daily. Seek Him daily. That's the third part of this uh, first practical thing. <laughs> do you get up for what? Well, why do you get up in the morning? Like when you think about the things that first come to mind when you get up in the morning, I, I don't know about you, but one of the first things for me is I can almost smell the coffee even though I haven't made it yet. Maybe you think there's a good breakfast waiting. You can't wait to get those eggs made. You can't wait to get the paper out. You can't wait to hear the news. You got, you got something where it's like, I'm, I'm getting up because I know coffee's happening soon. <clears throat> Here's my question. Do you have a time set aside that's special, that's, that's you and the Lord? Do you have a time set aside each day for your relationship with God. If not, put it on your calendar as a recurring appointment. Put alarms on it. I've got three alarms for me. Because I know that I'll go snooze, snooze. And I'm thinking, man, I'm such a loser. I, sorry, Jesus, let me get up. Dedicate yourself to a daily time with the Lord where you can get into His Word, where you can sit under a, a lamp in quiet 
with a coffee next to you and, and just read and meditate and pray and think, Lord, I want to know what you want to tell me because I cannot do this unless you tell me who I am and what I'm supposed to do. You just, that's day by day by day by day. Strong relationship with God is sought, it's earnest, and it's daily. This is, this is, this is about like what a lot of average professing believers in America think in terms of their uh, intentionality with a daily walk with God. Show up occasionally. When you feel like it, you get enough sleep. Dust off your Bible every couple of weeks. Go to the fellowship events because they're fun, low commitment. Volunteer every, you know, couple, few months or so. And that should about do it, which is to say, which is to say that I think for many people, Saved by church culture is their filter. Saved by church culture is their filter for a relationship with God. I'm not seeing that anywhere. I'm not seeing your mom was an amazing believer, therefore you get in free. It's not in here. Nothing like that is in here. It is your responsibility to have a strong relationship with God. And that will be the foundation, not just for sexual sin, that will be the foundation for a whole pile of things in terms of your ability to have victory over sin in your life. This pattern of sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, will be sin, confess, sin, confess, less sinful, still a lot of confession, and it will be less sin. You will see the product and the fruit in your life. Which, by the way, is the only thing Jesus said is how you, how you measure someone as, the, as a legit ordeal or not. Fruit. It's fruit. If there's not fruit, if there's not fruit, then your relationship with God ain't working for you. And to get unstuck from something as, as hefty as sexual sin requires strong, earnest seeking every day. You do that. You do that. You learn to make that pattern number one in your life. And you will be on your way. You will see God bless you toward that end. You will see His grace increase. And you're well on your way uh, to defeating sexual sin. We went absurdly over last time, so I'm going to try to fly through numbers two and three. Number two, practical way, is minimize failure with radical accountability. This is going to make some of you uncomfortable, so I'm real excited to say it. Minimize failure with radical accountability. Look at Romans 13, 11 to 14. Great passage. <clears throat> Everything in Romans is great. Romans 13, 11 to 14. This is part of a section where... <laughs> Paul is talking about fulfilling the law through love. And then he ends up saying this in verses 11 and following. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Paul is reminding us here that we do not have forever to seek him. 
This, the, the day of salvation is now, today. There's a definite end to that time. There's a statute of limitations on this day of salvation. So he says, live on purpose. Live as if this is a battle, verse 12. So then, let us cast off all the works of darkness and put on the armor of light like we're in battle. This is not peacetime, this is battle. Then he says this, verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Don't feed the flesh. Starve it. Make no provision for it. Don't, don't make your life come together in a way where there are all these places for you to have your flesh fed. Starve that huge monster of the flesh that wants to devour you. It's, it's in us. If we continue to feed it, it grows. And, and notice he says make no provision. He's not like saying make go ahead and a little bit here and there provision. It's not, uh, it's not a little won't hurt provision. So there is no possible way that if I've got a bowl of Oreos in front of me, I'm not going to like I'm going to eat them. Uh, some of you have been around for a little while know that I kind of have a, an inappropriate love for Oreos. It's true, I do. Um, the Oreo is not just filled with vanilla cream, it's filled with wonder and delight. I've loved them since I was a kid, seriously. Uh, it's my parents' fault. It's a family of origin issue. I don't remember how old I was, but I, I do remember vaguely as a kid, maybe six, seven, eight, my mom or my dad dipped it in, in milk. It was the first time I'd seen that. I thought, that is the strangest, but I love it. And from that, on, that point on, I was, uh, I was a lover of Oreos. So somebody a couple of weeks ago brought me a whole bowl of Oreos. I had about two dozen, 24 to 6 cookies in it, left over from Wednesday night, the night before, or something like that. So if you see Oreos around at a fellowship dinner or event, please eat them all. No exaggeration, bowl of Oreos, four hours time. I had eaten all but about four to six of them. 20 Oreos in four hours time. At 53.3 repeating calories per Oreo, that's a lot in a short period of time. <laughs> you can look that up on Oreo.com if you'd like. It's a cookie with its own website. <clears throat> Listen, I know that it's dumb to eat that many Oreos. But I ate them anyway because they were available. They're sitting right in front of me. I didn't say no. I didn't say, oh, that's so great. Thank you. Hey, guys, you want to have some of this with me? And, and, and share them with others. It was just available. It was at hand. Uh, if you're stuck in sexual sin, it's time to minimize your failure by embracing radical accountability. Jesus spoke very definitively about the value and importance of the kingdom. He said, cut off your arm, gouge out your eye. What you have to do to have the kingdom, this beautiful, wonderful treasure that, that is measureless in its worth and value, 
You do whatever you have to do to, to, to get it. And if sexual sin is keeping you from a strong relationship with God, it's time to minimize your failure by embracing radical accountability. Now, some of what I'm going to say, some of you will think is overkill. That's okay. I do not want to become a statistic. And I don't think you do either. 37% of pastors in America have reported, they've confessed, 37% of pastors in America have confessed that they have had an inappropriate sexual relationship with somebody inside their congregation. That's a lot. The average Christian in America, 45%. It's still a lot. There's too much writing on my life in what God's called me to do, not just here, but with my marriage, and my family, and my kids. There's too much writing on it for me not to take every precaution that I possibly can to ensure that purity is one of my highest values. So here are three practical things to do. They're all about accountability. Number one, be accountable for your access. Accountable for your access. Now, I know the video was about internet pornography, and we talked a lot about that last week statistically, and these things we're talking about are kind of around that. That's just because it's kind of the new adultery. It's the new easy adultery. And so it's just kind of the cultural phenomenon right now, but we're still talking uh, as it applies to not just internet pornography, but to all sexual immorality. Everything we're going to talk about applies to everything here. Um, except kind of this first one. Accountable for your access means do something to put some safeguards up. We use something called Covenant Eyes, uh, covenanteyes.com, if you want to check that out. If you don't have something, uh, you need to. Uh, you, you have a filter and reports sent to uh, someone. There's also triplexchurch.com. It just sends reports. Uh, there's also canine web protection. That is a filter. You can look at all the sites visited. Uh, there's also netnanny.com. It costs something uh, like Covenant Eyes done. It is both a filter and a report. I have my reports sent of every single site I visit to four people every week. They have access to everything that I look at. If that freaks you out for yourself, you probably need an accountability partner. If, you, if you're thinking, oh, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way I'd do that. Then you need it. Uh, OpenDNS.com is free. 80% of American Christian parents say they have no idea how to monitor their children's activities online. 23% of American Christian parents have no actual safeguards or plan in place to monitor their children's activity. You have to be smarter than your kids when it comes to online activity because I promise for most of you they're way smarter than you and they know how to get by with it. So be, be careful. Be accountable for your access. Number two, be accountable for your time. Number two, accountable for your time. There are three ways, uh, two of which I've already implemented, one I haven't yet, but there are two ways I suggest you do this. Number one, with your calendar. There are nine people who can see my calendar. Nine people who can see my calendar and schedule. There's very little white space in it. I want, I want, to, I want to have all my time be accountable so that they can look at it and know that I'm using, using my, my gifts and stewarding them effectively in a way that's in line with what God's called me to do. 
uh, on my phone. Many of you all know about Find My Friends. Most smartphones will have an app like this. There are eight people who can see where I am at any time. Unless I forget my phone, which is almost never. So between the calendar and Find My Friends, there are eight or nine people who can, who can look at my calendar, look at, look at my location, say, is he where he's supposed to be? I haven't done this one yet, but I want to give my to-do list to a few folks. I want them to see what I'm planning to do. Is it in line with what I should be doing? Are there enough check boxes so that I'm actually being effective and I'm not wasting my time? I'm stewarding it well. Radical accountability is going to be needed for some of you. Radical accountability is going to be needed for some of you. For me, it's a safeguard because I'm in a place where I, I want to be faithful to what, what I'm supposed to do here. So number one, accountable for your access. Number two, accountable for your time. Number three, accountable to your friends. Accountable relationships with your friends. Getting unstuck from sexual sin requires godly friendships that encourage us toward holiness. Godly friendships that encourage us toward holiness. Write up a list of accountability questions that you and a friend have agreed upon. Meet once a week. Pray for one another. Say, hey brother, hey sister, how's it going? What are you learning from God this week? What, where can I pray for you in, in areas where you've failed? A strength and a bond of, of brotherhood or sisterhood in the body of Christ is super important. And so few people have that. So few people have that. And you really badly need that if you're going to beat sexual sin. Uh, if you need an example of this, go to tiny.cc, T-I-N-Y.cc slash weekly top 10. Uh, that's what we as a staff use. Uh, you don't need the www. Just tiny.cc slash weekly top 10, all one word. There are questions we go through each week as staff. Our elders go through something similar like that because they want to be held accountable to uh, the important stuff that they're doing as leaders of this body. Many are going to hear these kinds of things and say, oh, this is overkill. You're just being a legalist. Uh, wah, wah, wah. Listen. If saving face if maintaining your autonomy is a higher value for you than holiness, you have a problem. When saving face and maintaining your autonomy is a higher value than pleasing Jesus with your life and having a heart and mind that are pure, then you do have a problem. And it's going to take some radical steps uh, for you. So that's numbers one and two. Number three is work with purpose. Work with purpose. We don't have time to do a whole lot of this in 2 Samuel. The basic gist in 2 Samuel 11 is David and Bathsheba. <laughs> and it was a time in the spring of the year that they said where, where kings go out to battle. It was something that he was supposed to be doing as king. King David... It was a prosperous time and he was supposed to be going out to battle and uh, he wasn't. It says in verse 1, it says, but David remained at Jerusalem. He, did, he wasn't where he was supposed to be. And he saw Bathsheba on a roof. Verse 2 says, the woman was very beautiful and David sent and inquired about the woman. At this point, 
He shouldn't have sent and inquired about the woman. He should have turned away and said, you know, I think it's time I go off to battle. That was his purpose. He should have worked with his purpose. He should have been doing what he was called to do. And friends, uh, having something meaningful for the sake of the kingdom that God's called you to do, and if you don't know what that is, if you don't know what God's called you to do in the kingdom, you need to do that daily, seeking, earnestly kind of thing with the word and in prayer. Because he'll let you know. He'll, he'll show you if you're looking. Work with purpose so that your life is not just about you, not about gratifying yourself, but it's about pleasing the God and Creator who made us. Those are the kinds of things, friends, we need to do if we're going to have any victory over sexual sin. Let me just end by saying this. I know that, I know that in this last couple of weeks especially, we've been talking about uh, sin in very much a you've got to get victory kind of way, you know, like like just power through. Many, many, many in this room have experienced the ravages and the pain and the hurt that, that are caused by sexual sin. And there are people in this room who have caused that kind of hurt and pain for yourself and for many others around you. Let me just say that we talked last week about Repentance, and of course repentance is important. Part of, part of what gives us the assurance that we can repent, that we can turn, is that we serve a God of grace who loves us because of His Son, Jesus. And so if you've, you've failed in these areas, if you've experienced that sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess. Please know, friend, please know that there is grace available to you. And there are people here in these pews today who want to come around you and create a, an environment of safety so that you can become who God made you to be. So if you're struggling with these kinds of things, please know that you're among a people uh, who love you and care for you and want to help you on that journey. That's what the body of Christ is. That's what the body of Christ does. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, we come to you because of the gospel, because of the good news that you have given us, that you've made available for us in the person of Jesus. New life. That the Holy Spirit can come into our dry, dead bones and body and give us new life. We ask, Lord, that that salvation that we can know through Jesus would be a growth process from day to day where we seek you earnestly. It can be a growth process, Lord, where we minimize the chance for failure because of accountability to a body of believers that helps us grow. And Father, we ask that you would help us to work with the larger purpose that you've given us. You've given us, Lord, this amazing work of coming alongside you being made alive and animated by your Spirit so that we could participate in the, the redemptive thing that you're doing to bring people to yourself because you, because you love them. You want them to be a part of your family. So Lord, give us the grace and the mercy of coverage from sin. Give us the greater grace 
and mercy from day to day of working with the purpose you've called us to. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.